Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Sam Vecini, NBA draft and college basketball expert for The Athletic and host of the excellent Game Theory podcast. And as you would expect, we go through the 2023 NBA draft to talk about Victor Wembanyama, big takeaways from the draft, how to watch Summer League. We end up talking about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for a while because Kareem is awesome. Cam Whitmore slide a little bit on 2024 class and much more. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Um, sign up at fanduel.com slash Boston and get up to $200 in bonus bets. And episode runs well over an hour. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, Danny, I know that we don't like to timestamp these, but I feel like it's important to do this. You know, it's the first night of summer league here. July 3rd, I believe it is in the United States, July Correct. 4th here in Australia. And I don't know if you knew this, but Brandon Miller, he's just a terrible basketball player. That, that's what we learned tonight <laughs> after having scouted him for, you know, many hours of high school tape, you know, probably watched all, you know, probably 30 of the 36 games he played at Alabama this year. Uh, you know, heard from all the scouts and teams that had him in. So two of them, uh, how he looked in the pre-draft process, heard from a bunch of teams that interviewed him during the combine, uh, you know, but this game proved that he's a bad basketball player. I don't know if you knew that this, this single game at summer league is, it's going to show that Brandon Miller, despite going second overall and being a consensus top five pick at the very least, uh, he's bad at basketball, Danny. I don't know if you knew that. Sounds right to me. Yeah. Sounds, sounds like people aren't overreacting on the internet or anything like that. It's normal guys. We need to chill about these first games of summer league. Just take a step back off the ledge. Things are fine. Brandon, Brandon Miller was playing with a, you know, one of the lowest IQ basketball teams I've ever seen assembled in terms of feel for the game. Uh, you know, playing with Kai Jones, playing with James Booknight, playing with, you know, 19 year old Nick Smith. These guys, these guys are very young and don't particularly have great feel for the game. Let's just let's chill. Maybe take a step back. It's all going to be fine. We're going to be good. It takes so long to feel comfortable with evaluations. I, I wasn't able to watch that game today, though I will hopefully see Miller both on tape and in person relatively soon. Where I wanted to start with you, because uh, you know the whole draft better than I do. You know, we'll talk about the guys that I scouted. But, you know, from your perspective, and, you know, now you've had a little over a week to ruminate on it, what do you think is the biggest story, the biggest dynamic coming out of the draft? So, look, 
I know that you and I really like to find the under the radar storyline or the thing that maybe people aren't talking about. But I think we can't miss the forest for the trees on this. It's undeniably Victor Wembanyama going to San Antonio. So missing it's the what, forest for the man who is the size of a tree and yes, not like a exactly. sapling, like a full tree. <laughs> yes, uh, it's exactly right. I think that we like it's funny. So being over here doing a stream for the entire four hours of the first round, right? I think that sometimes we can get caught up in the dynamics of what's happening on TV and what's happening like uh, throughout what happens after pick number one happens, because that is the majority of the time, the lion's share of the time. When I talked to Andrew Schlecht and did the athletic NBA show, shout out the athletic NBA show, like the morning after the draft, Andrew was there. And the biggest thing that he noted to me, just being in the room was just how this truly felt like a coronation event for Victor Wembanyama and how he was far and away the thing that people in the room, like fans, media members, everything like that cared about. So I think it is Victor Wembanyama. This is the Victor Wembanyama draft. Whether he becomes something great, like his pedigree and certainly his talent level and tools would indicate he likely will be, or if he doesn't become great, that's a whole different thing. I think that it undeniably is, this is the Victor Wembanyama draft, and we can't lose sight of that in spite of the idea of us wanting to focus on other things. It's a great point. I will note, I was in the room too. I 100% agree with Andrew. It really was the one Banyama show. And I mean, even for me, I walked in and as often happens when you have a press credential and nobody tells you where to go, you just get really lost. I ended up by the like red carpet of sorts and I was like, oh, there's Victor Wembanyama, who like, I mean, I saw him roughly a year ago in, in France and, you know, watched him play and everything. And it's, it's fun when there's somebody like that. And I also think that it is a reminder, as much as there have been at times those sales pitches, of, oh, it's great, you know, if people can fall in love with an American college player. And it's like, no, yes, that, that can happen, of course. But incandescent talent is incandescent talent. It doesn't matter where it comes from. And Wempanyama is a fascination, a curiosity, someone who many people will see for the first time in person very soon and have seen on tape in kind of different capacities with, I think, the I fully credit the NBA for how much they made his stuff available including on the app and everything else but there was there was a palpable excitement and it was interesting because i've the only other time i covered the draft in person was in 2012 and that was the anthony davis draft and it wasn't the same thing and the other reason why i think you're extremely right about this is because we often focus on what is surprising what is interesting oh this team did a really bad job this team did a really good job well you get the number one pick in a draft like this you know who you're taking and so that there isn't drama there and there was drama immediately after there but appreciating that when all was said and done with this class 20 plus years from now whether he ends up being the best player from this class or not this is the victor wambanyama draft and i think that's it's important to emphasize that Right. And the other piece of it is that you kind of talked about the fact that the NBA showcased all of his games this year on their app. And look, I think there's been a lot of talk in recent years on some level about how, you know, the NBA, it emphasizes the wrong things. Like God knows that Ethan Strauss, you know, our former colleague at The Athletic, loves to talk about the marketing of the NBA, 
right and the way that the ratings are and things like that and i think that there are things about ethan's premises that are just bad uh across the board but i i do think that there is a bit of a case to be made that sometimes the nba does emphasize the wrong thing i think that in this case the nba deserves an immense amount of credit for getting victor Wembenyama in front of as many fans particularly young fans that will grow to love him over the course of his nba career that will grow up with him as hopefully one of the shining lights of the nba i think that getting him in front of as many people like that as possible by putting his games on the app by emphasizing his social highlights as much as they did from like the nba account from these massive enormous social media like platforms that they have access to i think the nba did about as good of a job as they possibly could have getting people excited about this guy because he truly is somebody worth being excited about like my biggest fear coming into this year truly was that people would make the same contrived bullshit arguments that they did about Vic uh, that they did about or for Vic that they did about Chet Holmgren coming in oh he's too skinny he's like the seven foot tall guy he's gonna get pushed around he's this he's that and Vic is a better prospect than Chet I love Chet but like Vic is just a different dude right but I heard precious little of that over the course of the draft cycle and I think it's because the NBA got this guy in front of as many eyes as they did throughout the pre-draft process which made it just really fucking hard to argue with at the end of the day. I've criticized the NBA before that I think, and this is actually in many ways more their broadcast partners than the NBA themselves, though separating those two things out can be very complicated. That they've generally been a couple of years too late rather than too early with the best players. And basketball ensembles are great, but it is really about those stars. And I mean, part of that was for me in person, like the idea that Steph Curry broke on the scene as late as he did, considering how great he was in the years before that. And like, especially because the best players, whether they're the number one pick or they're the number 50, 15 pick like Giannis, it it takes often a little bit of time for there to be that team success. And I think that the NBA, there have been times that they've tried to break that. I mean, with Zion, they tried to, and then he got hurt and he missed a bunch of time. And I'm happy that they weren't super gun shy about that, that they, you know, and, and also there's less it's less owner like less of less of an obligation if you do it on the app and, and some of the other things than if you're like putting 20 of their games on ESPN and TNT and then he doesn't play in more than half of those but that's the thing that I think they need to do is especially when a player is unique especially when someone is the sales pitch is so easy and I think with Wembenyama it is like he does things that no one his size has ever done before and yeah so with the like it, it goes back to conversations that I've had with various members of the media and like it's funny I've, I've at times i've compared it to a lot of different industries and it's like if you believe in your product whatever that product is whether it's you know uh, you have the, you built a better mousetrap or you have a really good band or you have a really good basketball player your fundamental goal is to get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible and let them fall in love the the thing sells itself especially with an entertainment product and that's why i often talk about basketball in entertainment product terms is because that's what it really is and so kudos to the nba for doing that i hope that the broadcast partners continue to it certainly seems like that will happen with summer league and i presume it will happen with the regular season as well and my 
my my other hope now is that I get a little greedy now. It's like, okay, now do this with some of the other young guys too. You know, we 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 what's well, looking a lot more like Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller are going to have real roles at the start of their careers. That doesn't mean you need to be setting these expectations like these guys are going to set the world on fire. They're going to be the best player in the league right now. But I personally, even in sports that I care less about, I love the journey, and I hope that the people yeah. involved can not only sell the journey but sell that the idea that this is a process and the idea that even the best don't start out as the best except for kareem because he's just a monster but (laughs) other than that like it takes some time and that doesn't mean they're bad just as you brought up with brandon miller in the open but it does it does mean that these steps are worth watching and appreciating too yeah i do just want to bring up like the thing that drove me crazy among all of the conversations about victor Wembanyama being the best prospect like in nba history better than lebron etc kareem is like definitely the best prospect in nba history right absolutely it's just like not debatable like he entered the nba and was mvp in year two and like was all nba in year one if i remember correctly and like and kareem abdul jabbar back when he was luel cinder like would have been the number one pick Every like I, I know people who saw him at Power Memorial in high school, and he would have been the number one pick every single year had he been eligible. Like he would have been, and yes. then and you know how he followed up being there. Like theoretically, he would have been the number one pick if he'd gone to, if he'd gone to high school. He followed it up by not being able to play in college, but still being the best player in college basketball. And then he followed that up by being the best totally. player in college basketball. They followed that up by being the best player in college basketball ever. And so yeah, I mean it, it's it feels almost impossible to have a better resume than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar did before he entered the NBA and even at any point before he entered the NBA. Yeah, Kareem in his first year at UCLA, which for people who don't know was a sophomore year, uh, averaged 29 and 16. He averaged 26 and 17 and then 24 and 15 in his senior year. You look at what UCLA did in those years. It is just bonkers. Well, like, well do you know that they you know won the fun- like all but one game, right? Do you, the funnier one to me is, um, and you get a lot of this when you go to UCLA, is freshmen weren't allowed to play when Lou Alcindor went to UCLA. And so they played the freshman team against the varsity team, and the freshman team beat them because of Alcindor. That varsity team won the championship that year, and I think they only lost like a couple of games. And like, yeah, and they lost crazy. to just the freshman. Like that's how good he was. And and, and like, on, and, and on top of it, they they had to change the rules of college basketball right? because of Kareem. Like you could not dunk in college basketball for what was it? It was like a decade or something it was a like while, that. Yeah. yeah, because he was so good. Like he was too dominant. They had to change the rules to outlaw the dunk because of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He, it's like undeniable that he is the best prospect of all time. I think it, like she, it, LeBron is amazing, but like it's Kareem. It's Kareem. It's always been Kareem. And the other thing, I and when LeBron's basketball career is over, the biggest thing that will resonate with me because he's the he's the player who made me fall in love with basketball. In in all honesty, and it's been so weird to cover him, including interviewing him personally when that is the connection that I have with him, and we're the same age and everything else is. LeBron, the story for me is that he was the most hyped player of my lifetime, and he completely lived up to it. Like, I wasn't around for the MJ hype. I wasn't around for the Kareem hype. Kareem did that, too. And, like, that is... 
a story that is so fortunate. It may not happen with Victor Wembanyama. I hope it does more than more than almost anything. But basketball fans getting those, you know, like when you get that generational guy, and it's been to some extent true in other sports. I mean, our, my dad talks a little bit about Gretzky, um, but it's it's so cool when that happens. That it's it's not only like oh, there's this special like this is the best guy of 20 years or whatever, and then they do it, then they live up to everything. Yeah. Multi-time champion, like unquestionably one of the best of all time. Each of them has their own case depending on how we want to find it. I mean, I would say they have the two greatest NBA careers in history, and that's just the way things go. Yeah, like for me, like growing up in Pittsburgh, right? Like it's Mario Lemieux, sure, right? Like Lemieux got drafted by the Penguins, I think five or six years before I was born, something like that. So I get to see like as I'm, you know, four, five, six years old, growing up like Lemieux just like being utterly dominant like I remember like some of my most like formative like you know hockey memories of like being super super young right it's just like watching Mario Lemieux just like tool on people when I was like six years old right like in 1996 like I think that was the year that like he scored like 70 goals or some shit like those are like and he was another one that went number one overall was like a six foot five like enormous behemoth center that could do what he could do with his hands and could do uh, you know everything that he needed to with the puck like he averaged I think he averaged like two points per game throughout his career like just a bonkers bonkers number and it's like him and Lemieux like are right there and you know unfortunately Lemieux ends up getting cancer and you know ends up you know having to stop playing hockey when he's 32 basically or 33 whatever 31 whatever it was and then he comes back and like the first game back this dude like scores uh, like a goal and then like within the first five games back he scores off of a goddamn face off like the whole thing is just crazy these like transcendent uh, transcendent talents and to bring this all back to the original point of the conversation what i see from victor wembanyama is a lot of transcendent stuff like he does like do you know when you watch players and you go oh that's novel i'm not sure i've seen that before victor Wembanyama does things that like my brain can't really compute i mean he got a tip dunk on his own three-pointer yeah or like he takes like pull-up runner three-pointers right where it's just like he's literally like off the bounce takes one dribble forward plants with his left has the right leg in the air like it's almost like a freaking dirk fadeaway from the mid-range and he's taking these shots from three it's seven foot four without shoes on and it's just like what am i watching how am i yeah by the way one other since we're talking about ridiculous prospects one other story i've heard recently i have not independently verified this is do you know why players have to stand behind the free throw line when they take free throws no because wilt chamberlain used to dunk them that feels not possible i mean he would do it with a running start but like (laughs) that's the reason that they did it and it's just like those there's that narrow group of people that just bend everything and and, i mean it also does make it a more equitable thing (laughs) though if you just had guys taking free throws line dunks maybe you allow like just in the last two minutes of a game but also yeah. they, like if you allowed Giannis to like get a layup like he would get a layup if not a dunk like that's but it's anyway I just wanted to get in that um to to jump back to jump back into it and we, we appreciate when we also did an extended conversation about him previously you and I I believe both had Scoot Henderson number two and yeah. even though this is not the time yeah, wait over, t- time, out, time out time out time out what did your board end up looking like Sure. Um, Wembenyama in a tier by himself, as you did. I think you called it the zero tier or the Wembenyama tier. Um, yeah, I, I called it uh, Vic tier. Yeah. Vic tier. 
Um, I had Scoot number two in a tier by himself. Then also I, what I had. Then I had Amen Thompson and Brandon Miller together, um, and yep. Amen over. But again, if they're in the same tier, it's close. And then after that, I'd have to probably look. But it was Asar and um, more more of the group. I only we only really got to ten guys. Um, but it was more yep. more of them together. And then the person of the people we did a real scout on that I liked the least was Anthony Black, and we can talk about why that was. Though I still liked him. Like you know, this I like this class yeah, quite yeah, a bit. Yeah. Um, but I, the people who I did, I, th- I think I disagreed more. Like my board seemed to differ with based on you know like compared to everybody else. Higher on Taylor Hendricks. Higher yep. on um, probably to higher on Asar Thompson. Um, I because I had him fifth, and then you know having Scoot well over Brendan Miller and a men. So I guess it's probably that, and then Black being a little bit lower. Um, I also really liked Grady Dick. I, I was impressed with him. You know, I wish I had the full context of like watching twenty dudes to see where I would have had him, but I yeah. liked him quite a bit. Yeah, no, I, I think that's like all completely reasonable. I mean, for people who don't know, um, I ended up with Vic in a tier by himself, Scoot in a tier by himself. I had Cam Whitmore at three before I knew about the medical stuff. If I'd known about the medical stuff, I probably would drop him to five mm-hmm. and then would have had Miller and Amen in a tier and then had Whitmore at five. Um, I think the NBA like drastically overreacted to everything about Cam Whitmore, like in a real substantial way. Um, I, I'd have to think, I guess I'd have to think about it more with cam. I do just like kind of buy him more than I buy Brandon Miller on some level And the medical from what I've heard is not as bad as like what was indicated. I don't know. I'd have to think about it more. Truly. I would have to think about it more with cam as to where I would rank him. There is a chance I would still rank him ahead of Brandon Miller. It's funny. I'm, I'm ludicrously excited to see cam Whitmore in person, but I, yeah. he, but in this class, just because of some of the, some of the unusual prospects in it, he's like, I don't know, eighth, fifth or eighth on my list because he's not yeah, going to be sure. above Vic. He's not going to be of Scoot. He's not going to be of the Thompson twins. Like it's going to be, it's going to be so much fun. Oh my God. No, I, I'm like truly, really excited to see the Thompson twins play like real, like basketball um not not to denigrate overtime elite i think the program is fine it's just that they were so able to dictate like tempo and pace of play in overtime that it was really really difficult i think at times to get a great feel for what their half court like overall offensive game looks like and i don't know that you know truly any nba scout like had a great vibe on that yet uh, the more you watch them i felt better about it with a men which is why i had a men in that tier that you referred to earlier but i'm like truly intrigued to see what they look like on an nba court with nba spacing hopefully you know maybe not in detroit's case but like i think that there's a lot to be excited about in in regard to them but more in regard to just like seeing them play like i, I really am desperate to see them play on some level I also, and I mean, you and I talked about them a fair amount earlier um, on, on, I think it was in this space, not on your show, um, and the idea of just where their athleticism fits in in the NBA. Like, I, I think they're both ridiculous. Yeah. I think Amen is one of the better athletic prospects I've ever seen. But is it apparent immediately? Is it like the, you know, the, the super, the grabs the, the Mario star and just kind of flies through everything? If it's, if it's like that, again, in the, in a week or whatever, when I see him, it's going to be like, okay, well then there, there's something. You know, like that doesn't mean everything. Totally. And and so that's going to be really fun. And you get, like, I think it's very tempting to overreact to Summer League, especially the things that players adjust on in time, like getting stronger and the, the athleticism jumps and everything else. But there are certain elements 
for better and for worse. And the way Avalon described this is like every year at Summer League, and since I'm only going to be there for one full day, it probably won't be this year. I have at least one guy like who I see in person who I'm just like, how did this guy not get drafted in the first round? And then at least one guy where I'm like, how did this guy get drafted in the first round? And it's those basic pops or non-pops that are that are really interesting and potentially in the positive case, really exciting. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely a really great way to put it uh i would be very interested to see who you think your predictions are for how did this guy get drafted in the first round and how did this guy not get drafted in the first round uh but yeah i guess you haven't watched enough like high-end tape yet uh, right exactly no guys. and that's kind of the fun so that's so, like, almost for me, last more, more fun yeah the guy, I, we didn't get to johnny davis and i saw him the first time I'm like hmm hmm <laughs> and then for me the guy last year the other way was josh mina who i'm just like i'm like oh he's i'm not saying he's definitely gonna pop but it's like a guy with this athleticism and this size like you roll those dice yeah i'm a little bit lower on my not from a skill perspective sure. uh, that's completely uh, th- fair like, but i think like the way i think about it often is a little bit different than what, how like many think about it I, I think about it from the perspective of what value is this player going to give to the team that selects him point blank that can be on the trade market that can be with his play it can be you can take it any number of different directions but it's why like i had gg jackson as a second round pick i would be stunned if gg jackson brings real value to the team that took him first right i absolutely think gg jackson has an immense amount of talent i just also think that he seems to be very immature uh he is somebody that doesn't really see the court well yet in terms of passing in terms of defense in terms of his overall feel for the game but i think that by the time he's 22 23 years old he's probably going to be pretty good it's just the problem is that he's coming into the nba at 18 years old and that's four years of not getting any value out of somebody it's exactly what happened with Taylor horton tucker with the lakers and frankly Taylor horton tucker went as good as it possibly could have gone for the Lakers. He still did not provide much in terms of actual on-court value to winning basketball. And then they moved him for Patrick Beverly, who also did not provide much value for the Lakers, who then got moved for Mo Bamba uh, along with like a pick or, you know, maybe they got a pick back. I can't remember. Like they end up in a circumstance where even though they seemingly nailed the Taylor Horton Tucker pick across the board, he's so young that they didn't really get any value for him by selecting him where they selected him. And that's the risk you run. And it's why in the second round, I do like taking flyers on older players and why I feel a little bit better about that. Cause I feel like I can get a lot of the younger high upside swings on the second go around, or as our friend Kevin Pelton calls it, the second draft. Mm-hmm. It's a great point. I, I want to transition to Portland because I, especially as I got through the film on Scoot Henderson and thought of him as one of the, you know, like a, one of the better prospects in recent years. Like, I mean, if one Banyama was in the draft, he would have been number one, but I think he would have been number one in plenty of other years. I haven't like rated him contextually the same way Nate and I did with Victor because, you know, that seems silly to do with the number two pick. But it got into this interesting place and it also made it so funny that he ended up going, you know, not second, but third is the challenge if let's say portland who of course has our our mutual friend mike schmitz in their front office 
if Portland evaluated him the same way, or even similar, similarly to to what we both had of having him in a tier by himself and everything else, you get the idea of why, even if they felt pressure to get better right now to appease Damian Lillard, who of course has since requested a trade, why you wouldn't want to mess with that. Because a those kinds of trades are very rare and you're probably even if the you know there's a wider variance for scoot henderson than for most established commodities because you know he hasn't played in the nba we haven't there's a lot we haven't seen and his last year in the g league night was a little bit different but i can imagine them just like you know having preliminary calls and just being like oh this isn't even close to as good especially when you consider the salary structure and cost control and all that it's it's Seriously, like if you were them, would you actually take Brandon Miller? Like think think about like Brandon Ingram. Let's go with right. I think Brandon Ingram is awesome. I can't remember if you're someone who thinks Brandon Miller is a little bit better, or a little bit worse, because everybody seems to be pretty polarized Wait, on Miller, Brandon Ingram. Miller or Ingram? Or I'm confusing In- Ingram, Brandon Ingram, Ingram. Ingram. Okay. Yeah. Um, the one who's like already an all star, right? Yes. Uh, I think Brandon Ingram's like awesome, and I think he's going to keep getting better, and I think he's somebody whose game like really profiles well toward being like a mismatch hunter in the playoffs and we've seen it like on some level like a you know very brief glimpses in that six game series you know last year where he averaged like 27 and six and six or whatever it was for new orleans uh in that series where who did they push did they push uh was it memphis if i remember correctly or was it the warriors it was phoenix it was phoenix phoenix it was phoenix yeah um because I remember they were the eighth seed um, mm-hmm. and he was like incredible in that series and he followed it up this year with like his best year of his career. Right. And I think Brandon Ingram is awesome. The problem is Brandon Ingram has two years of team control. So even if you're acquiring him to play with Damian Lillard, I, I don't know if you can win in the next two years with an Ingram Lillard combo. And then at that point you risk Damian Lillard aging out once you get into his age 35 year. So like, even though Brandon Ingram, I think is probably going to be a top by the time he's 28, I think he's probably going to be a top 10 to 12 player in the league, something like that. I still can't really get to the point where I am moving the number three overall pick being Scoot Henderson for Brandon Ingram. I just can't because the team controls too much. And because the ceiling is high enough to justify it. And and I'm a, I'm lower on Ingram than you, not dramatically so, but I am lower. Like I, the him yeah. his place as the best player on a great team is is always going to be a little bit of a challenge. But it's always worth remembering young players, their games grow and expand and he can reach a, a higher level. He's continued to improve. I, I like Ingram a lot. But that's the exact point. Is now if if Zion becomes available for that, then you're getting into the like health bet versus everything else and things get a little bit more complicated but that was like that was the conclusion that i came to when i was kind of thinking about well what do you do here is your even if and scoot henderson is far from a sure thing just like basically every player who has ever been drafted you in some ways what the draft is about especially at the top is that all nba and ideally mvp equity and because it is so hard to get those players any other way you can do it many many teams have maybe it's a trade maybe it's something else but when you look through the like the annals of like best players on title teams or even best players in NBA finals like they're hard to come by and some of them have changed teams more like Jimmy Butler but usually they haven't and so you you kind of have to stick with those and if you think that this player could fit that bill it'd be very hard to pull them away and the other thing is if that's what you're willing to trade that pick for 
other teams aren't willing to trade guys they think have that potential either for the exact same reason yep no it's absolutely right it it really is like truly right and it's it's truly that's why it was so difficult to find like a trade that made sense for number three the only name i heard and i don't know if new orleans was willing to do this was zion because you can sell yourself on zion who is under team control for four more years like being a dude like he could be the best player on a title team at some point the problem is that zion's floor is also playing 30 games a season for the next three years and you getting like no value out of him essentially you're getting you know a third of the value that you were hoping to get out of him over the course of the next three years so you also really struggle to do that i think it's why this it never made sense for portland as long as scoot henderson was there to trade the pick now if it was brandon miller there all bets are off i had brandon a little bit lower than i had scoot i think brandon's going to be like a really good basketball player i don't think he has the upside that scoot does so you know that's when it gets a little bit more interesting but then if you're the pelicans it also becomes less interesting for you because you you don't want to move Brandon Ingram for Brandon Miller because your best hope is that Brandon Miller can become a Brandon Ingram like player. So like it's it's hard. It's truly truly difficult. I don't think that's the reason Damian Lord will likely end up in a different team's uniform at some point in the next few weeks or months or days. We'll have to see. But I, I am very sympathetic. And and so the idea that even if you wanted to, and you could argue that that's, you know, Portland moving up in the draft was both a great thing for them in a lot of ways, but also it kind of accelerated this departure because the, you weren't presented with any other reasonable choice. And yeah. I hope that Brandon Miller, like, you know, and we're both wrong on these things a fair amount. You know, it's, it's, it's always hard prediction. But like I, the way I've thought about it for a while and is that as the Hornets here, if it kind of seems like everyone else is trading up for somebody, maybe you should seriously consider taking them. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like the idea of like, oh man, everybody's, everybody's trying to do this and no, we're going to, we're not going to do that. We're going to, we're going to take this other guy. And you have to be so confident in your board, so confident in your evaluation and That doesn't doesn't make it the wrong pick necessarily. In uh, hindsight, we'll prove it, but it does make it the wrong pick in my eyes right now. Well, the better the example of that going the other way is like Charlotte, or uh, not Charlotte, I'm sorry, Boston deciding that Jason Tatum was their guy in that draft. Yeah. Like they they did genuinely have Jason Tatum ranked number one in that draft in a draft where literally every other team in the league probably had Markel Fultz at number one. If, you know, maybe there were 27 out of 30 teams that have Markel Fultz at number one. So, it does happen where that team ends up being right. Like truly it happens fairly regularly where it ends up that that team ends up being correct. It's, it's just very, very difficult. I think to come up for me, at least with the case for Miller athletically against scoot, I guess that my, the way it was presented was always so strange that like, it felt like to me a lot of media people presented it as if teams were moving up in this draft, they would be moving up for Brandon Miller. That is not the impression I got at all. Just genuinely, it's not the impression I got at all. There might have been a couple of teams that would have moved up for Brandon Miller. And there were teams that had Brandon Miller outside of the Hornets ranked ahead of Scoot Henderson. It was a genuine conversation for a lot of teams that I spoke to in a way that it wasn't for me and you. Like me and you just had Scoot at number two uh, by evaluating both of them and deciding that we thought Scoot was the better prospect. I still 
I, I, I struggle to see how you get there outside of like the positional archetype. We're all very excited about, and God knows, Danny, you and I have talked more about these freaking like big six foot eight shot creating wings probably than anybody else on planet Earth in the hours we've spent on this podcast together, right? Mm-hmm. Like th- these are the things that you and I have talked about from an archetypal perspective. Here's the problem. They're valuable from an archetypal perspective in terms of lineup versatility. You can get lineup versatility from like starting level, borderline all-star level players. The important thing in the NBA is getting the dude, just getting the guy at the end of the day. You have to get the player who can lead you to a title. If you look at the players across the board who have led teams to a title over the course of the last, let's call it, I don't know, uh, last few years, let's say. So Jason Tatum, you know, led Boston to, Boston to the finals, you know, a couple of years ago against uh, God. Who did the who did freaking? Yeah, they played the Warriors. Uh, Jason Tatum is an example of one of these like predator wings, right? He lost to a great guard is the all time player in Stephen Curry this season. The Miami Heat get there with one of these predator wings like Jimmy Butler. Great. You can win with these guys. We're not saying you can't win with these guys. He lost to an all time big in Nikola Jokic. Phoenix Suns, they get there with. Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges and Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. Great. Uh, they lose to an all-time big in Giannis Antetokounmpo. You need to find the greatness first, is my point in all of this. You can go back, you can say, Kawhi Leonard, he won a title with Toronto. He beat the Warriors, right? That's great. Kawhi Leonard personifies the greatness that we're talking about here. But it doesn't have to be a wing. It can be a wing. It can be your Michael Jordan. It can be... Kawhi Leonard. It can be at some point. I think it will be Jason Tatum. I think he will lead Boston to a title, but it doesn't have to be that guy. You can get the greatness anywhere that you want, but you have to find the greatness first and you have to take the informed bet on what the greatness is. And to me, Scoot Henderson has a higher upside chance of being great than what Brandon Miller does at the end of the day. That also is to a degree how I ended up with the men over Miller, though they were in the same tier, is the idea like Brandon Miller's expected value is higher. Like there the, there is and his bust potential is lower. Like there there is a chance that a men Thompson's game just doesn't work. And that's not as much about the competition he faces just because the track record of on ball players who have an unreliable jump shot is flawed. And there there are plenty of high profile and low profile examples of that. However, I I like to think about with a lot of these players the like if it works and what is the chance that it works. And the reason I ended up with the men over Brandon Miller was the if it works with him is wild. Like it's the, you know, on ball force could also be a very good defender. And like, I think his jump shot is pretty bad right now, but it's not like unsavable. There are very few players where I would ever say that he's so young and and talented in many other ways. So you could, you know, put some developmental time into that. And and it sounds like they're good kids that work hard, both Thompson twins. So it also, you brought up the idea, and it's so interesting with, with Ingram and Tatum, two big wings that we've invoked in this podcast is like, neither one of them is like a superlative athlete either, but I think of Miller's kind of a step down from either of them. And I do too. It's also hard to become that player. It's easy to become easy. It's doable to become a high level support player without that. I mean, we've seen plenty of them. I, mean, I love Chris Middleton, like Chris Middleton's and he has like strengths in his own ways, but you have guys like Middleton and and plenty of other really good ones. He's just the one that stuck to mind, came to mind. But the the runway to being like that, the dude, is extremely narrow. 
without that. And, and generally, it requires an incredible skill level. Like we could say what Kevin Durant does when Kevin Durant's measurements and all that are, are ludicrous. And he's also one of the best jump shooters of all time, on-ball players, everything. So it's like, it's possible. It's just a hard road to go. And so it is completely reasonable to think that Miller is going to be better and that, that especially with that higher four because of his jump shot. And like, as Nate put it, like guys his size who can dribble, pass and shoot are extremely rare and thus extremely valuable. But there's a certain part where it's the all NBA MVP equity. And, and I will, I will lean more heavily on that. And that's a part of why Houston's draft is so tantalizing. And I'm sure as you were, you're a bigger Cam Whitmore believer than I am, like to be able to get a guy with a real ceiling at four and that that he fell, which is less of a story than Scoot Henderson falling to three, but still potentially significant. We'll know a lot more in a year, in a week, all that stuff. But also getting Cam Whitmore to fall and however it happened and hopefully the things that led to him falling do not sidetrack Cam Whitmore's career. I, I hope that your interpretation of it is correct, but that's a lot of upside. That's a lot of talent and the possibility of getting two potential starters, each of whom has some real upside in the same draft, especially that have wing size, is not unprecedented, but extremely unusual. Well, and I can kind of jump into the why on Whitmore. It wasn't just one thing. It was right. it, it was it was an accumulation of things. So I talked to eight teams about this before the draft in terms of the medical because I wanted to have like as good of a feel on the medical as I could. The impression I got was that it is a concern like long term, not a short term concern. Uh, I didn't I'm trying to think of the right words here. A large majority of the teams that I talked to did not have him red flagged. They had it as like a yellow on his uh, like draft profile, right? It's like you know, I heard anywhere from could start to hear the could start to see some impacts, you know, at the end of his rookie deal to this is a ten year down the road kind of thing, and most teams were in the boat of thinking like this is like eight or eight plus years down the road is when it'll really start to impact him in terms of the long term uh to me i I don't if you're talking eight years down the road if i'm an evaluator like i don't care i'm probably not going to be here in eight years give me the guy that's good at basketball for the next eight years you know what i mean additionally on and i'll I'll follow up with this in a minute maybe on the medical side the the other piece of it was whitmore's like kind of a low-key guy from everything i know uh very confident very uh like like his he's not a bad kid i I guess is what i would say like he is just low-key confident and he doesn't fill the room with energy like in pre-draft workouts like there were a couple of teams that told me like you know you kind of have to get him going you kind of have to like you know what is his motivation level like stuff like that i I think everything that i heard was this is an 18 year old and people are way overthinking this people are truly way overthinking this nobody called him a bad kid like nobody said that you know this is a dude that is going to be a problem in the locker room they were just like this is a kid that like you know didn't work out super well when we had him into our building i talked to a couple teams where he worked out really well for them but it was it was hit or miss in terms of the workouts you know ryan rosillo noted on the simmons podcast that you know the intel trickling down to teams from like the villanova coaching staff wasn't great i'll refrain from comment on that uh it's just a number of different things right it's a number of different factors that the box gets ticked in your profile and you're like well okay i guess that we can just remove him 
from consideration. There's too many things here, right? And in reality, I think all of them are explainable. Like, what if, like, look, I don't know this. What if he just didn't vibe with the coaching staff, right? Like, what if, like, that's that's where the motivation, you know, questions came from for some reason, right? Uh, if we're talking, like, the medical, you look through history, right? Malcolm Brogdon had a medical concern. That's why he fell to the second round. Like, rookie of the year in 2017, one sixth man of the year this year. Like, we're seven years into his career. He does miss some games. There are some medical concerns, like, where he'll miss 15, 20 games a year. Don't care. When he's on the court. He's really good. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. had what our good friend John Hollinger called literally the worst medicals he's ever seen in a prospect back in 2018. Uh, Just the third scoring option on a title team this year, making max level money. Robert Williams was flagged. You know, he made all defense. He misses games. But, you know, when he's on the court, really good basketball player. OG Ananobi's medicals dropped into 23 after he tore his ACL at Indiana literally every team in the NBA wants OG Ananobi right now. Yeah. Right. Uh, I believe Cam Johnson was one that was flagged. He just got paid a hundred million dollars. Like you, you can go through history on these guys and teams just drastically overthink these things. And at the end of the day, I just want the guy that I know can play basketball and you can have a different take on Cam Whitmore's basketball playing ability. You can't have a different enough take to where he falls to 20 on a talent basis. Truly, like that guy is going to enter the NBA as one of the 15 best athletes in the NBA. Like you feel that way, right? Uh, So we're talking about top 15 athlete, Hmm. like power, explosiveness, physicality, like the the intersection of those things in terms of like his athleticism. He will be a top 15 athlete from day one in the NBA. Maybe it trickles down a little bit earlier in his career where he goes from like 100 percent of his athleticism to 97 percent to 93 percent to, you know, 92 percent to 88 percent, like maybe a little bit earlier if you want to have a uncharitable feeling about his medicals but you know i I don't have a great i don't know that that's true i'm just speculating on that like entirely so and i think nba teams would be as well by the way so i just look at it and i'm just like you can't let this guy get to 20 it Mm -hmm. it is completely crazy to me that some of these guys that got taken over cam whitmore from a talent perspective truly like cam whitmore is really good at basketball even if you have him at nine on your board i did not hear anything from an intel perspective that makes me go this guy needs to fall at top 12 Sure, and it could be a circumstance, this is what happened from what people say with Michael Porter Jr., is that once you fall below the group of teams that seriously scouted you, they get a little spooked, because it's not only, like, they don't necessarily have the intel, but they're like, well, all these other teams did that, and so that can lead to these more precipitous falls happens in in the NFL as well. So, but at a certain point, you just kind of need to make the bet, and I'm guessing we will, you know, I haven't scouted everybody else, but like I'm betting that there will be teams that, that regret it. At some point, I, I want to transition in some of the time we have left to, you know, this draft so well, you know, every draft so well, some players and their their teams that you think of as unusually good fits. Like, oh, I'm so happy player X ended up with team <laughs> Y. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, how about this? I was like very low on Brandon Pajemski throughout the process. Like, I think he's really going to struggle to defend in the NBA. And like, I don't think his athleticism in terms of its functionality on a basketball court is nearly like what the testing is. God damn it. Did he find the perfect spot for him with Golden State? <laughs> like the basketball IQ, the shooting, the toughness, like the competitiveness that he has, the physicality uh, that he's like totally unafraid of. Um he's going to be a good fit there. Like, I think he's going to be a rotation player by year two for golden state. I really do. 
Um, he seems like a guy that Kerr is going to love. Totally. Like you couldn't find a better coach for Brandon Pajemski than Steve Kerr. Like that is that that is probably the one that stands out. Um, I really like Derek Lively to Dallas. I think that is a perfect fit. He's going to get fed by Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving over the next few years. He's going to be an incredibly versatile, impactful, effective rim protector who has a little bit more juice as a ball screen defender than what I think he gets credit for. Um, I'm trying to think if there are other ones that I like really, truly love. Uh, I mean, I think Marcus Sasser like ticks a ton of boxes for what Detroit needs. Great point of attack defender. You can play him. With Cade, you can play him with Jaden Ivey. You can play him with Asar Thompson. You know, really, really high-level shooter. Shot like 46% off the catch last season from three. Just like a bonkers number. Like, he is an awesome, awesome fit, I think, there. That, that, those are probably three of them that stand out. But honestly, I thought that teams this year, Jaime Hawkes is another one in Miami. Like, th- there's no prospect I've evaluated in the last couple of years who more embodies heat culture than Jaime Hawkes. <laughs> like, it's... It's perfect, right? One that I wanted to ask you about, in part because I, I'm sad I didn't get to watch film on him, though I'll get to watch NBA film soon enough, is Leonard Miller. And yeah. I was surprised he fell as far as he did. But I also think that Minnesota, considering their wing rotation is a little bit in flux, moving forward more than this year, like if he ends up being a top 20 player from this class, then that is something, that's a, a real lifeline for them. I think he will be, for what it's worth. I had him ranked 13th. Um I love the fit with him as like a big, honestly, in this scheme. As like a four? Because the, yeah, or even like small ball five occasionally. He won't get to do that in Minnesota as long as Townsend go bear there, obviously, and, and Nas Reed. Reed, obviously. But like, you play him in bench units with Nas Reed, that's like the exact guy to, you know, actualize his offensive game because Nas can really shoot. And then on the other side of it, you have Leonard Miller who can grab and go and can create as a driver and who can finish at the rim, like at an exceptionally high level as a driver and is great in transition. Like all of these things are aspects of the game that Chris Finch is going to be like, yes, like go, I'm going to empower you to be somebody who just to be who you are on the basketball court. Um, I'm really, really glad he ended up in Minnesota. I think it's a perfect, perfect, perfect fit for him as a player. And I think it's a perfect fit for him. Uh, like like as a as a player that needs to come along slowly as well because I think that you and I are probably in agreement that the Towns Go Bear thing like probably is not long for Minnesota, maybe. Like I don't think they both will be there for two more years uh, after or starting with this one. Like they're going to have to move off of that at some point, we think. Right. It, it seems that things are going that direction. It may not be imminent, but at some point in the next two years, the, like their their salary structure. I did a piece with John Krasinski at The Athletic about this. Like it's untenable unless they're so good between now and then that the new ownership is willing to pay it. Right. So like. To me, I look at Leonard Miller as like almost a perfect, you know, a perfect guy who can come in and be valuable in bench units and then eventually become a starter. I, I think that Leonard's going to be a starter long term. I really do. I, I am a part, part of it is like I've sat down with the kid. I, I've gotten to know him a little bit like he's super, super competitive. He's super intellectually curious. Like he has the physical tools to be really good. It's hard to find guys that are, you know, nine foot standing reach, six foot 10, seven foot two wingspan, like have the tools that he has, have the unique offensive creativity that he has. And then 
also like is humble about like where his game is and will want to put in the time and effort to learn. So, yeah, I think it's a home run in terms of the fit with Minnesota, just in terms of scheme, too. One other question that came to mind. This is going to be off the cuff, but I can't think of. Can you think of a team that has a deeper combination of guards whose biggest flaw is shooting than the current Orlando Magic? Uh, no. And that's what makes their draft a bit dumbfounding to me, because when I look at the magic, I think they have two genuine, like all-star level players in within the next three years in Paulo Bancaro and Franz Wagner. I am an enormous Franz Wagner fan. Like, I think that dude is going to be like, seriously, like an all-star caliber player. And, and you know, I'm and, a big Wendell Carter guy too. Like, I don't think he's a star, yeah. but I think he's a player that will be good for a long time. Well, and perfectly fits with their core for the next three years as well, because of his ability to space it, sharp rim protector for his size, a little bit undersized, obviously for the NBA center position, at least like there's just so much to be excited about, I think. But to actualize those two players, Franz Wagner and Paulo, you're going to want to put the ball in their hands more. Like th- those are the two guys. I-, I want the ball in their hands more than anybody else's. And I'm still in on Jalen Suggs. Like I-, I still am a believer. I think that what we've seen from him defensively gives him such a high floor in the NBA, especially given that like he's not offensively like completely toolless, like we saw with like Chris Dunn early in his career, right? Like it was like, okay, Chris Dunn just probably can't play offense at a level commensurate with NBA, uh, you know, necessity. And I think Jalen has more juice there than Chris Dunn does. But Jalen also is going to be like an all defense team member in the backcourt. So if you think he can shoot it long term, he's a guy that's worth keeping around. I am less high on Anthony Black being able to shoot long term. I think he's super valuable and I think like his feel for the game is off the charts and he is super sharp and like his processing ability is so fast. Like that dude can really play, but you kind of need him on the ball because I don't buy the shot. So if you're putting him on the ball more often, you are taking reps out of Paulo Bancaro and Franz Wagner, which then probably leads to diminishing returns, I think, in terms of being great long term. The other piece of this is Markel Fultz. Mm-hmm. I think Markel Fultz is actually really good. Same. Um, I don't know that people have totally come around to that fact yet. He also isn't a great shooter, but his ability to bend defenses I think he bends defenses better than Anthony Black does. And thus, you can use him as like an off-ball driver a little bit better and more effectively because if you put the ball in his hands, he might get to the rim. He might be able to navigate bodies in a creative, unique way uh, and then collapse help defenders uh, in a real way that then allows you to get the defense in rotation and create advantageous circumstances for Paulo Bancaro uh, Franz Wagner, guys like that. So I actually just kind of like Markel Fultz better than I like Anthony Black, but they're also like a bit redundant in terms of having them on the court. So I really like Anthony Black, the player. I don't love the fit here in Orlando uh, much. It's kind of where I'm at, unless they're just going to move Markel. If you think that he's the best prospect available, which I did not, but if you feel that way, then then you roll those dice, even if you like Markel Fultz a lot. But the problem is, I just don't think he. I don't, I don't think he is. So you, you run into it there. So l- let's let, let's stop on that real quick because I don't know if I agree actually with that. Um, again, I really like Anthony Black. I had him at like seven or so 
I guess I didn't have him as the best prospect available, but I, I thought it was a reasonable take. To me, like if you have guys that are players that you don't necessarily project as all stars, but probably more as like really high level starters, I probably would rather take the guy who fits better, which to mm-hmm. me in that circumstance, I know it seems strange to say it was actually Taylor Hendricks that I thought fit best there. And I know that you said you really like Hendricks and I'll let you kind of explain why in a second, but I, I actually think that you can play lineups with Wagner, Paulo, Hendricks, Carter all together. Hendricks can space from the corner and be a crazy help defender patrolling the weak side and patrolling the baseline. You have Wendell Carter who can space it a little bit and is a good primary rim protector for his size. But you also have the requisite ball handling out there and play creation that Paulo and Franz allow you. And you just be super big on the court, which probably gives you real positive defensive value as well, given that the only guy I don't love there defensively is Paulo. Like, I think Franz is actually like pretty effective in terms of using his length to cut off angles and do things like that. So I actually love the idea of just drafting Taylor Hendricks and going from there and like continuing to find shooting for Orlando to play next to Paulo and Franz, even though there's theoretically some like positional overlap between those three players. Yeah, that's, it's completely fair. And the other part of it is um, you, you draft then, I mean, Sexton Garland is a great example of this, but you draft a good player. And even if you don't play the four, your four best guys, it'll shake out in a different way. That could be that you, you know, he's your super sub and he bent backs up all those spots or one of those guys eventually gets hurt or traded or something else. Like there, there are a lot of ways that this can result. But what intrigued me about Hendricks was some of his base kind of combination of athleticism and shooting just isn't something you see every day. And he applied like a a lot of the things that I didn't like about his game were things that you could see toned down. And like it was the best player who's ever gone to UCF and he's taking these weirdly ambitious shots that don't go in very often. He's not going to be taking those shots in the NBA. And but the reactions to get to the rim both on, on honestly on offense and defense, his jump shot seems completely projectable. And like, I mean, on catch and shoots, the numbers were really, really good. And mechanically, it looks it looks plenty good. And so with Hendricks, I don't see that like MVP upside. Well, congratulations, your guy who's taken out of the top five. That's it's hard to do that. Possible, hard to do. But what I saw in Hendricks was a player who can succeed in the NBA in both one clear way as like this like weak side weak side shot blocker who maybe could defend fives like I think he's better as a four than as a five but also does enough offensively that he doesn't need to be the guy and he doesn't take anything away from the guys who are the guy and that's actually really hard to come by for somebody who has good positional size it's just it that that sort of combination of skills and so it's it's a weirdly soothing kind of thing from a team building perspective and it's funny because we just saw John Collins get traded and John Collins went to the team that drafted Hendricks. And part of the reason I was a little bit frustrated by that was because I wanted to see Hendricks get the opportunity. But in many ways, I like Hendricks. Like Collins had the skills that he showed at Wake were less relevant to the modern NBA, but he grew into a player who fit. Whereas Hendricks is going to start his NBA career as a player who makes sense in the NBA. Yeah, I think that's all really, really good take. I mean, yeah, no, I, I agree like almost wholeheartedly across the board with that. Like, I, I think that's really, really smart. And then like if you draft Hendricks at six, the other piece of this in terms of the way the board could have broken for Orlando is if you do want to take a guard then at number 11, you know, 
there's a chance Case and Wallace was going to be on the board. He went 10th. He'd end up not being there. But like Case and Wallace could have been there at 10. Kobe Bufkin could be there at 11. Um, you know, you, you could draft Cam Whitmore if you really wanted to, like if you felt okay about that. Like you, you would have felt really good that one of, you know, Grady Dick or Jet Howard, I guess that's a no, that's a whole other topic in terms of why I didn't love that from Orlando. Um, I love the fit of like getting more shooting. That makes total sense. I just think they took the wrong player on some level. We'll see if it works out. I've been plenty wrong before. Um, but like if you really wanted to, you could end up taking a Kobe Bufkin, maybe a Koulibaly if he falls it, you know, doesn't go seventh or eighth overall. I think he went eighth, if I remember correctly. Seventh. No, he went seventh, if I remember correctly. Um, um, Grady Dick is there. Like you're going to get one of your guys to fall to 11 potentially that could tick the boxes that Anthony Black does in some way, shape or form as a good defensive player who can also play offense. Like Kobe Bufkin is the name for me. Like Kobe Bufkin can play with more. Markel Fultz, he can play with Jalen Suggs, he gives you the positional size that you want, like, his ability to play both on and off the ball is actually an incredible compliment to the guards that you already have on the team, whereas Anthony Black, I think, does not compliment the guards that are on the team already, he actually... Uh, you know, becomes redundant in some way with the guards that are on the team. Last question I want to ask you because I know your t- your timing is limited. From what you know right now, does it does it seem like the twenty four draft is on the very weak side? Yes, uh, at the top, yes. I think there is some depth there that will be interesting to track moving forward. But I do think there is a very real concerning. I think there's a very real concerning amount of upside players in that draft. Uh, I really like Ron Holland. I think Ron Holland looks like an awesome high-level starter in the NBA. I have him at number one right now. Um, I think Tyrese Proctor would have gone like 17 or 18 this year if he'd been in the draft. I have him like at fifth right now. Um, Isaiah Collier is somewhat interesting. Stephon Castle is somewhat interesting. But you look at, for instance, like the U19 team, right? They just got beaten by both France and Turkey. And a lot of those guys are eligible for the 2024 NBA draft. Mm -hmm. And it's concerning that very few of those guys have stepped up and been, uh, been guys that like help themselves. Like a lot of the time you find guys in those tournaments that like really help themselves and put them or put into a new light. And that just really hasn't happened this year, which, which is worrisome to me. Uh, I, I would be like Utah. I know, um, based off of reporting it seems like they want to have that pick that they owe to i believe it's oklahoma city right Mm -hmm. uh transfer this year in the 2024 draft which is why they're like you know resigning jordan clarkson and trying to contend on some level right now for a play-in berth i think that's super smart (laughs) like i i I would not want to knock it out yeah if i have a pick obligation i'm trying to knock it out in 2024 baby like let's <laughs> let's contend, let's compete, let's get this thing going. I think once you get to like 15, 20, it's a normal draft. Like there's there are guys that profile as really solid role players. Like I, I really am interested in someone like Riley Kugel. I'm interested in somebody like uh, Terrence Arsenault at Houston. You know some of the guys that withdrew this year. I really like Osoe Godaro. I really am interested in Mark Mitchell. Uh, I like Izzy Almanza who. Uh, you know, played for overtime elite last year. I like Alex R on some level. There are a number of guys where you can make a case for it, but I, I, I'm I'm somewhat concerned. I would say about <laughs> the 
about the top of that draft. I, I don't think the top of that draft is one that you want to be involved with. And that ties in with, to me, and we could do, you and I could do a whole separate podcast on our takeaways from free agency and stuff. But And, and this is not, I think, the primary reason for most of these teams that this happened. But there are not many franchises that, are, that went through this offseason so far with the intention of being bad next year. And I think that's more about the pressure yes. certain general managers, certain organizations felt like. Rafael Stone, it isn't about that. For some of these, it's the structural thing with the draft picks they owe and everything else. But it is yep. really striking that very few teams like are starting the season you're like oh there's no pathway to them being a play-in team like that's now in the west it might just be that the bar is so high that a lot of teams get knocked out early kind of like the old school west when it was top eight where it's just like well crap if it's going to take 50 wins there there's a group of teams that are good but aren't going to win 50 it's not the same with the play-in but it could be similar but I mean, the improvements that Houston has intended to make, the improvements that Detroit has intended to make, and, and a few of these others. And I mean, San Antonio, they haven't had that kind of offseason, except, you know, that they got Victor Webbyama. And so yep. that element, and then some of the teams that could have improvement in health, like the Hornets and the Pacers, the overtly bad teams aren't that strong. And then the other part of it is like, yeah, it, it, even if the top of the draft isn't what you would hope, there will probably be players that are interesting. And part of why the rookie scale in the NBA, even though you know, for moral reasons, it's a little bit awkward. Even if the number three pick doesn't have the same, you know, the the EV chart is not the same in this draft as it was previously. Well, their contract is not going to be prohibitive anyway. And so, if you get a if you get a, a solid rotation player rather than a solid starter, you're not killing your book. Yeah, no, I think that you're absolutely right about that. I think you're totally, totally, uh, totally right about that. It's also just like, man. 480 is a lot for Dylan Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> True. I, I mean, and, and I'll, I'll end this podcast with the caution that until we see the actual contracts, I, a lot of these are probably going to end up being more team friendly than we know. Like if we don't know, make that as an assumption. Maybe there, I, I don't know anything specifically with Dylan Brooks, but it's a possibility. Um, and sometimes it can be on surprising contracts and yeah, it's going to be, it's, I'm I'm so excited to see this class more than any other that I've ever scouted. This is the one I'm most excited to see what they look like in Summer League because we're not going to know everything, but we'll get some indications, and we'll have to we'll have to lean on those until October. Hundred uh, percent. And by the way, uh, we started this podcast making jokes about Brandon Miller uh, in Summer League, and I think it might be interesting to kind of close on this. Um, the, the Summer Leagues that are important are guys that have not shown anything by the third year and uh, continue to not show anything in Summer League within their third year of Summer League. Uh oh. <laughs> Uh, have you have you looked at what happened tonight with the Hornets game? You said you didn't watch it, I guess, right? Correct. Uh, I, I had other obligations. <laughs> uh, Kai Jones, Kai Jones. There are some worries here. Kai went for uh, in twenty one minutes tonight, two points, zero rebounds, zero assists. But did he have ten fouls? Because if he didn't have ten fouls, I'm not interested. You have five. Oh, Brandon Miller at seven. We closed in. Like we're we're closing in on foul outs in summer league. But uh, no, like Kai Jones, the Hornets should be looking to make maybe make some decisions on him. James Booknight, I thought was like a little bit better than him tonight, but not somebody that was particularly impressive. I would say, mm-hmm. but Kai Jones particularly, like guys like this, when you get into the third year of an NBA 
you know, summer league experience. And these guys haven't shown anything in the NBA yet. And they continue to show you who they are in summer league. Uh, to me, like we're veering toward maybe you should not pick up Kai Jones's fourth year option. Mm. Right. Like that's I, I think those guys, it's important to listen when they tell you who they are at sure. that point. And, and Brandon Miller looked better in garbage time at the end of this game. Like, let's just be very clear that Brandon Miller is going to be fine. Like yes. I, we started with like a big extended bid on how this is bad. I think Brandon's going to be fine, but guys like Kai Jones, guys like James book Knight, they're the ones you really have to watch because if they got, if they don't perform, that's where the concerns come up. Yeah, definite possibility. Um, but we'll, we'll get more time to see it. And thank you so much for taking the time. Of course, Danny. Anytime. Thanks again to Sam Vecini for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at The Athletic and including his awesome draft guide, which if you're a team partisan, <laughs> you now potentially have more players who are relevant there, but also just to get a sense of who everybody is. is something I like to consult as a part of my summer league viewing process. You can also check out the Game Theory podcast that he does, which is excellent and it's both an audio form and there's a YouTube channel, which you can check out as well, even though being on it on video always stresses me out a little bit i'm always happy to do it and he also has many more guests than me who are great and like covers a lot of ground there i'm so thrilled with how game theory has taken off and if you want to follow sam on twitter you absolutely can at sam underscore vicini that is s-a-m underscore v-e-c-e-n-i-e love having him on if you want to support the show there are a lot of different ways you can do it you can subscribe and download every episode in whatever podcast player you're choosing Real GM Radio is never going to come out on a specific day of the week, so if you pop it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, then new episodes will go into your player whenever they're ready, and that is a great way to do it. If we are not in a player that you want to use, let me know, and I can pass it up to people who know how to fix those things, which is, of course, not me. You can also help other people find the show, word of mouth, social media, however you like to do so. And the most important thing for Real GM Radio and any other show that has them is to check out our sponsors. So for us, that is going to FanDuel.com slash Boston. You can get up to $200 in bonus bets and it's baseball season, lots of fun stuff going on. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On and Dunked On Prime, still going strong with Nate. We've broken down pretty much every transaction. We'll catch the rest in the next podcast we do, which will be later in the day on Wednesday. Then, of course, we will do Summer League. We will do off-season grades. Nate does podcasts with somebody who knows each team in depth, all 30 teams, and plenty of other ground to cover. You can also check out my written work at The Athletic. Have a couple Irons and Fire. Also did some collaborative pieces kind of as free agencies started and a little bit before with Fred Katz, with John Krasinski, and um, I think I did one with Kelly Eco too, so that you can check those out. Eh, there are some evergreen elements of those, to be sure. And, and then once the dust really settles on the offseason, I will do some more stuff. Like one of the things I've been waiting on is to actually do 2024 space projections because now we have the general structure of the cap tax and exceptions moving forward due to the new CBA. But getting the contract structures is the thing that I'm waiting on. So that will be, I'm guessing that'll be next week just because it takes some time for the actual data to come out there, the terms and everything like that, which is always a fun one for us cap nerds. And you can also listen to the recent episodes of this pod and everything else. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, Daniel LaRue, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. Not always the greatest at replying, but that's not what I promise. So I will read it though. And, and I really do appreciate it. And it could be, you know, I get, I get lots of types of stuff. It could be guest suggestions. It could be, hey, an additional note or something else like that. But I really do appreciate it. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.